Is that better? It's better. All right. Now you'll be able to hear me, Brother Hildebrand. God bless you. Samuel, right? What's that? It's good to be here. All right. Good. That's the best response I've gotten in a long time. How about everybody else? It's good to be here. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, musicians. That's, we'll just stop there for this thing and take our Bibles together. Amen. Amen. We'll go through a few things today, but let's start in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. We didn't have, didn't have a sword drill tonight, so... If I happen to have some of you read some scriptures, don't feel bad. We'll just call it your sword drill. And uh, it's good to be involved. And they all said, amen. Brother Andrew, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to be involved. I'd love to read some scriptures and stand up in the service. All right. That's okay. I understand. I was a young person once, too. I once was young, but now I am old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. <laughs> and I'm not that old. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 7 reads it this way. It says, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time, it shall be light. Amen. Let's go over to 1 John, if you would. 1 John chapter 1. I know we could follow the projection screen because they do a fantastic job on that, don't they? Brother Mark and Sister Ruth and Brother David and Brother Ethan. And they're always just right on par. But, you know, if you got your Bible, turn in your Bible. That's the best way to do it. First John chapter 1, and says it this way, verse 1 says, that which, was from the, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. That's very descriptive. John begins to make it. Very clear. This isn't just something that is just conjured up in the minds of man. So we've looked upon it. We've seen it with our eyes. We've even handled it with our hands. It's real. The word of life, he says, for the, for the life was manifested that we, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, and you also have our, have, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we've heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That really sums it up very simply. John had quite a way of just taking the whole of the gospel and putting it right there. This is the message. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. He says, if you say we have fellowship with him... And walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Let's read that last verse one more time. And I want if we'd all read it together. Be all right? 
All right. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Let's bow our heads together and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you. But Billy Marshall has prayed and he started his prayer. Lord, we sure love you so much. Lord, it's true and our hearts just burn within us when we are in your presence. Whether we recognize whose presence we're really in or whether we understand everything that's being said to us, something within us burns. Lord, for there's a seed you put within us that's there to receive, that is able, it's the transmitter, Lord, that we're able to receive the signal of the unseen. Father, we ask, Lord, tonight that you just come by our way. We're just a group of young people. Lord, we're not just any group of young people, though. We're a little part of your bride. We want to put our name there and know that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from our sins. And Lord, we thank you for such grace and mercy, Lord, that has brought us this far. Lord, and it will take us safely home. Lord, and we look to you now. We ask that you just open our eyes of understanding tonight and help us to see that which you have us to see and help me, Lord, just to get myself aside that you'd speak freely to your people. Lord, we love you and we commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may have your comfortable seats if you would like. I'm going to uh, speak this evening, and I say speak because I'm going to try and teach, if you will. Teaching to young people sometimes is easier said than done because it's much easier to preach. And just get under the anointing and the inspiration and just begin to preach and then labor in that and bring it to an experience and those things are fine and we'll get into it. But I know last time I spoke at Young People's, we spoke on an interesting subject of swimming lessons. And I know perhaps I'll say some things were said that maybe were cutting and maybe were personal. And uh, um, that's how the Word of God is sometimes. I certainly don't apologize for that, but what I will apologize for is if I made it more cutting than it had to be. And uh, we went into, of course, the depths of the water and how you need to learn to swim in it. You can't just jump in the deep water having never learned to swim. You find out pretty quick that it's deeper than you bargained for. But my desire in, in speaking such a service is to get you really to the service tonight where we can begin to lay more of a foundation to teach the depths of the Word in its simplicity. Because we're young people that we've been either raising the message or come from the world. It really doesn't matter. But the fact is, is that you're now sitting in a church that preaches the truth. But the majority of you at this point are, are, are young enough that you didn't sit in a lot of your adult life, if any of your adult life, under the ministry of Brother Harold. You've now sat under the ministry of Brother Ed, and some of you wouldn't remember an awful lot of, of Brother Harold's ministry, and I'm not trying to emulate him. I certainly could never do that. Um, his gift was significant to him, and uh, God used it for that purpose. But we want to take some time, and I'm just trying to relay my burden to you a little bit in order to do my very best to teach a little bit more on a few things in the upcoming uh, services, and this will be the last youth meeting this year, just so you know. Right off the top of your head, we're not going to have one on December 24th. Um, I know you all would just love to come on December 24th and spend your Christmas Eve here, and uh, God bless you for that. I'll just think the best of you, but, uh, but we won't do that. We will we'll just... Uh, had that for family time and then getting together with friends and family and just allow that to be that time of year. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll gather together to get in, in exactly four weeks from today if the Lord is willing um, and the Lord tarries. Because saying something was going to go on four weeks nowadays seems like, will it really go that long? <laughs> but, uh, but in that, we want to begin to teach on it and, and a few things and, and what it is is the importance of the message. It's timing and it's purpose. 
What is the open book? Why do we need it? What's the importance of recognizing what it is? Why do you need to come to these things? And what exactly is or what exactly was it that the seventh, seventh angel did? What exactly and why is it so important in our day? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so here, faith does not come by miracles or by altar call experiences. Those are manifestations of faith. But faith doesn't come by those things. If, you, if, if, if we base everything upon, I had an experience or I had a sensation or I had something like that, you end up with a group of people that when they become challenged, they get very defensive because there's no stability and strength of faith to build all of those experiences upon. So you need to have a foundation. If we were to take the statue of a perfect man, the very foundation of it, if we draw it out like a pyramid or something, really the foundation, the basis is faith. And that faith doesn't come by just coming and having a nice feeling or having an inspirational service or having you come up to the altar and have you repent. And those things are good and we need those things and we ought never to diminish them. However, that doesn't bring faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. Faith comes by receiving the message for your day, which is the word, the light of the hour. You have to walk in the light as he is in the light. Then you have fellowship one with another. It's not just to look into the light or to recognize the light, but rather it's to walk in it. You have to uh, have something built up so that you are able to walk in the light. Amen. Now, anytime, I'll say anytime that God reveals himself... And in any way, it's not going to be something new. But rather, he's going to reveal himself. And we've seen it down through the ages as he's revealed himself more and more and more and more as we'll get into it. It's not that he revealed something new, something new, but he was a greater revelation of himself. It was a deeper revelation of who he is to the individual and who he can be to you. It wasn't there just so he could bring something new and something new. No, it had to always come back to the word of God if it ever was Jesus Christ. Because we know in John chapter 1 and verse 1 would write, it said, in the beginning was the word. Amen. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God, and, the, and the, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. So we see in that, it, it comes right back to the word, which is also the Logos. And Brother Branham would talk about it in creation, how that out of God, that Logos came spinning out, and they begin to move when the Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, the face of the deep. It was the Logos that was down there moving upon it and, and, and beginning to bring to pass the, the, the spoken word, because it was the spoken word, it began to manifest itself as creation. And now, um, 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 it says this, in the beginning now was the Word, it was with God, everything was made by Him. And if you jump all the way down to verse 14 with me, it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, and the glory as of, only, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as John would then write in 1 John chapter 1, he'd say, we handled it with our hands, we seen it with our eyes, we, we looked upon it, we heard it, we know that it is a real thing, as Brother Ed couldn't have preached a more, a more timely message he did on Wednesday night for tonight, which was the truth, it is a person. It's not a concept or a thing that's out there. It's a person of Jesus Christ. That is truth. And now I could, I could ask the question and I'll ask it and I'll answer it simply. But then really we're going to spend a lot of time beginning to dig into it. But why did the book have to be opened? Why did there have to be an opening of the seven seals? Why was the book sealed? Why, why, if it was sealed, if it was lost and it was sealed away, why, what was the point of going through everything to reopen the book? There was a point behind all of it because without it, the, it, 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 it we, we could not have the title deed to our inheritance. We could not possess our inheritance. The point of opening the book was in order to bring you and give you your inheritance. 
And then and, and the book had to be opened to bring us back to what Adam and Eve lost. We couldn't go back to that without the revelation, the full revelation of who Jesus Christ is. We couldn't go back to that without understanding the fullness of the atonement. We couldn't go back to that without the rapturing faith that opening the book brought. We couldn't have all of these things without understanding, without knowing, without having faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word, and in order to hear or to recognize the Word and have the revelation of the Word, it has to first be opened or revealed. And, and, and I want you to imagine for a moment, we'll just, like I said, we're taking this really, really slow, so Justice, can you come up here? Would you be all right if you come up here and help me out for a second? I want you just to come stand over here if you would. Because I want to give you something. I want you to understand how important it is for something to be opened and something to be revealed. Because if I was to tell you, Brother Justice is a man that died. He died thousands of years ago. He knew you'd come, though. And he left you an inheritance. Is that exciting now? He left you an inheritance. Left you something. And he made sure that I had something to give to you. I had a key to give to you so that you could have the inheritance. Would you like that key? But first I'll tell you a little bit about the inheritance, right? So, so in this inheritance, there's, he's got a bomb in this inheritance. They call it the bomb of Gilead. And in there, there's healing. And he paid for all of your healing. You'll never have to be sick again. You just need this. Isn't that amazing? In there, he's got everything you'll ever have need of. You'll never have to be begging for bread. You'll never go hungry. You just need this right here. You'll never have to live guilty a day in your life. He paid for all that. All the iniquity, all the, all the mistakes, all the sin, he paid for all that. It's all in this inheritance. And for, on top of that, he's, he's given you, he said, you'll never have to die. I give you eternal life. He did this all for you because he knew you were coming, Justice. And he gave me this just for you, just like he did to Peter. I give to you the keys to the kingdom. Would you like it? Sure. I dropped it. There you go. Now go unlock it. Where's, where's the inheritance, right? Yeah, you could say that. Does it, does it fit in there? Go ahead and put the key in there. No, don't. Don't wreck my Bible. It doesn't fit. You see, a key just as a key doesn't do you a lot of good without something to put it in. It's all locked. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for the justice. Appreciate your help. I could give him the key. This is actually the key to my son's dune buggy. If he only knew I had it. But I could give you the key as he gave Peter the key. You've got the keys. Whatever you bind on heaven is bound on earth. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. I've given you the keys. And it was more than just giving it to Peter. He was giving it to the church because really he was giving it to whoever had the revelation of who Jesus Christ was. You've now got the key to unlock the inheritance, but without the understanding, without the revealing of what that inheritance is, the key only takes you so far. And all down through the ages, they could look and say, I've got the key, I've got the key, I've got the key. And they could go so far with that, and it was good. And the key, for a certain time, there was a certain door that they would find, and they would unlock it. Luther would get to a certain point in time where he'd have the key, and he'd use that key to unlock the just shall live by faith, and he'd begin to walk in that revelation. But that was the only key, that was the only lock that he could find to open. But then God led Wesley to another door, and it was sanctification, and he opened and he used the same key, and it fit there too. And he opened the door to that one, and now all of a sudden they're beginning to see the inheritance that is in there, because the Bible says in, in, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 16, says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. 
If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So there's a purpose of it that, that, that we're heirs. We've become heirs of something like I'm saying to Brother Justice. All of these things are paid for. The full atonement is there. Everything is available. Everything that's ever in the scripture is available. God gave them the key on the day of Pentecost. He gave it to the church and said, all of it's there. All the power's there. But it, you need the faith to unlock what the power is for. Because you can't operate the power without the faith to handle it. As soon as you've got the Holy Ghost, as soon as you've got the new birth, you've got enough power to speak heavens and to, to speak worlds sorry, into existence and go and live on them. That's incredible power. Because it's the same power that spoke this world into existence. And the same power that put Adam and Eve on it and all the trees. It's the same power. But it requires the faith to unlock the power in order to enable you to live according to the inheritance that's always been yours. Could you imagine if I said, here's, here's a key and you've got the key and it's through a treasure chest that's been left for you. Great, where's the treasure chest? No idea. That would drive you mad. I've got the key to a million dollars and I don't know where it goes. This ain't choose door number one, two, or three. This is there's no doors. Brother Justice was doing, just put it in the air. This is what I'm supposed to do, Brother Andrew. <laughs> I didn't really give him a lot of instructions. You need to know where it goes. You need to have an understanding. Like I said, we're just going to take it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually just preach, Lord willing, for an hour. Isn't that amazing? Brother Andrew, I'm, I'm going to do my best to keep my word. And then I'm just going to call Brother... Tony back up, and he can lead you in some worship. Because I want, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to bring this to an altar call. I'm not trying to bring it to a certain climax. I want to lay the word in. To give you a foundation of faith so you can begin to realize when we come and there's things that are said, we don't want to just leave you down here and the word of God go way over you or just slip right underneath you. We want you to be able to receive it. Now, Turn with me to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. This is so familiar to all of us. We could quote it probably backwards, forwards. But now it's how do you place it in the scripture? Now, as I laid out all of those things about what we're talking about, the purpose of the message, the timing of it, the importance of it, the, the, the opening of the book, the seventh seal, this, or seventh seal, I keep wanting to say that, the seventh angel, but we're not going to get to all that tonight, okay? We're not, I'm not going to be able to condense all that into an hour and say, here it is, here's the compacted version. No, we're just going to teach and we're just going to bring it real simple and I, just, I trust you can just receive it as it comes. Revelation chapter 10. I'm going to ask Brother Philip, you got your Bible with you? Revelation chapter 10. Why don't you stand up and read the first three verses? Sorry, read the first three. All three, yeah. Thank you. Now, a mighty angel comes down, right? Who's the mighty angel? Brother Branham says, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes down. It's a heavenly angel. So a mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. Now, I could jump all the way to the end of the service if I even get to it and talk about the cloud, what we all know as the cloud, right? And that was exactly the fulfillment of this scripture. That you had a cloud that was so many miles across, so many miles high. And it was, Brother Branham began to see in the rising of the sun, if you just turn it to the right, you begin to see it's Christ. And he's in the, the, the clothed in the white wig, the judge, he's come down 
Why? It's the fulfillment saying that I have come down and that I'm clothed with the cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was over the sun and his feet as pillars of fire and he had in his hand a little book closed. No, it was a little book that was open. It was so significant that John began to look at it. He began to say, this wasn't just a book. It wasn't just something that he was, but it was a book contains words. This was the word that had been opened. That now he's come down with the opening of the word. And he begins to, to speak. And as he sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth, and I'll throw this in real quick. If you jump over into Revelation chapter 13, you begin to find out in verse 1, you've got a beast that comes out of the sea. In verse 11, you find out you've got a beast, another one that comes out of the earth. And so here comes Jesus down, and he puts all things under his feet. Where is the beast? Where is the serpent? Under his feet, right? Exactly where it belongs. And, and, and John begins to notice these things. He says he comes down and he, he has his foot, one foot here, one foot there. It's not talking about, oh, well, he's over all the earth. No, it's talking about there's the beasts that are rising up. But he says he subdued them. But now it goes in to say, and he cried with a loud voice. So now who's speaking? It's the angel. It's Jesus Christ crying with a loud voice as when a lion roared. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So who was it that spoke the seven seals? Or the, I'll say it this way, the seven thunders that were sealed up. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly. It wasn't Brother Branham coming and coming up with an idea. I can read you a quote where Brother Branham says in questions and answers on the seals, he says it this way, I'll just read it to you. He says, we're now coming to the last seal and the Lord willing with a very mysterious seal. Very, very, because it's not even mentioned in the scriptures nowhere. No symbols, no nothing's held, held on to it. It come, has to come, it's got to come direct from heaven. Where'd the angel come from? Heaven. And he says, and it's kind of straining hour for me. He says, it's been all week how it's been now. It's my eighth day in the room. And notice here, many of these requests, different things I kind of picked out. He says, there's many of them waiting and wanting interviews. He says, I love that. He says, and I'd give them now. He says, he has a desire. He wants to. But he says, but I'm trying. What we're trying now is to find revelation. To find the will of the Lord, you see. And when you have an interview, it just pulls it off. So he's saying, what's he doing? He's spending time alone with God. And he would talk about in the seals, if you go and read and listen to the seals, he would talk about how the Spirit would come in in such a way. And there'd be such an anointing in the room, especially when the sixth seal was revealed. It was so many things that were coming so quick and it was so great that he had to leave the room and go walk around. Because it was just too much. He had to try and recuperate, just get his mind straight. But it, what, what it was, he said, he, he said, I'd take the first seal and I, and I would begin to read. And I'd begin to read everything that I have. He says, but then the Holy Spirit would come in the room and it would just begin to reveal, which is Jesus Christ. It was the angel that had come down. It was the one that was in the cloud. It was the one that was standing there revealing the word, speaking exactly as he did as John saw it in vision. And he heard the seven thunders utter and he was about to write. Amen. Brother Isaac, you got your Bible open. Almost. If you don't, it's up on the screen for you. Revelation 10, verse 4, 5, and 6. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. He begins to speak, and you notice the timing of it, the importance of the timing. Where he says, it's, it's, it's at the end of time. If it actually, if you, you tie it all the way back into Daniel chapter 12, where the angel says to Daniel, when's all these things going to happen? At the end of time. And it's going to be sealed up until that time. Amen. But now, Brother Wesley, can you stand up and read verses 7, 8, and 9?
in thy mouth. Amen. Amen. So now we get to what happens at that time. Now, it'll be at the end of time. There'll be time no longer. There should be time no longer. So it's at the end of days. We're coming right down to the end of time now. But it says, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound. Right? We could all quote it, and we love to say, Rev 10-7, Rev 10-7, Rev 10-7, Malachi 4-5-6, Rev 10-7. We all got those favorite numbers, right? I don't know how many of you, when you were children, you paid on basketball games and volleyball. You wanted number seven on your back. Or, that was my favorite number, I, Number seven, because Revelation seven, and then I wanted Malachi four, so I wanted four on my back. And that was the way it was. If seven wasn't available, I want four. Just Those are my favorite numbers that I had when I was a kid, and I didn't really understand why, but then I realized everything's ten, seven, four. And uh, you just kind of get stuck in your head. But we could, we could memorize it that way, but it's, it's so much deeper than that. That is saying that there's a purpose to it. When the mystery of God, so there's a mystery. This is really simple. Yeah, I'm trying to take it real simple. I want just to lay it in so that way you can understand it from a very basic viewpoint and bring it right up because it's God hiding in simplicity. That the, that the mystery of God should be finished. So there's been a mystery all through the ages, so I want you to notice this because this is what denomination misses so often is they miss the fact that until the end time, there is a mystery. All of these different denominations that have raised up, that have come up, they've come to denominations because they've stopped. They didn't go on into the fullness of the mystery. They took the little bit that the the key unlocked, a little door, and they got a little bit of truth, but then they stopped there. And then another one, another man had to pick up the key and unlock another door, and he stopped there. And then another one, so we need to continue to go on and make sure we're understanding. That's why it's so beautiful to me, the message and the scripture that fits together. Because even, I'll say, what the brothers that have gone on before us, the generation before me and the generation before that, the gener- even Brother Branham's generation, they didn't understand the fullness of what Brother Branham was saying. They didn't understand everything that was being said in the message. And they would even admit that when they were sitting in the services. And the random would say, did you catch what I said? Yeah, I got it. Did you really catch it? Yeah, yeah. Now you're starting to realize, did I really catch it? Did I, did I miss something here? Was there something I missed? Because why? But then they go back to the tapes and they begin to study it and study it. And they realize there's a whole lot more to this than even what I'm realizing. Because even when he's preaching certain things, if you go and listen to the sixfold purpose and you go and listen to, uh, is this the time, sir? I think that's the right title. But uh, you begin to realize he was speaking about certain messages about the trumpet giving a sound. And he says if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, what, what, we wouldn't know what to do. We have to understand, and the trumpet has to be certain, and a trumpet always notates war. And at the beginning of every message, there's a trumpet which notates war against the spirit of that age. Because it's a spiritual warfare. But, but, but in all of that, he begins to preach a message. And why is he preaching the message? Uncertain sound. Because he's revealing a mystery of what happened through every age and what the trumpet was. Amen. As I said, it's much easier to preach. But now if we pick it up, Brother Tony, if you'd stand and read verses 10 and 11, please. Amen. Now, without getting all over Brother Ed's subject, here you have in Revelation chapter 10, you've got the word that came down, the heavenly angel, the mighty angel come down with the open word in his hand, and he speaks. The prophet now takes the book and eats the book. And he says, but you've got to prophesy again. See, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, but it's the, see, it's the spirit, it's the prophet, and there be another, the bride. All at the end time. Now, as I said, we want to lay a foundation, so I'm not trying not to trying to hold myself back. Now go to Malachi chapter four. I almost want to ask you, 
When's the last time anybody read Malachi chapter 4? I was thinking about it today as I was reading Malachi chapter 4. I thought, when's the last time I actually sat down and just read Malachi chapter 4? I don't remember. And as I sat down and read Malachi chapter 4, it just opened up in a whole new way. Which isn't new, but it's probably things I've forgotten. It says, And behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Now, if you go back over to Daniel chapter 12, I almost want to turn there, but I'm not going to for the sake of time. Maybe we'll get into that next service. But Daniel chapter 12, it would talk about in the end time when all these things would happen, and, and it says that when the wicked will do wickedly still. The just will do just. It begins to differentiate. But now it comes down and says, But in the day that shall burn as an oven, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Amen. But unto you that fear thy, my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And I'll stop there for a minute. What does that mean? If you're in a farmer, you're probably not quite understanding. What's a calf of the stall? Now, if, if I can get it right. Calves of the stall, it's someone that's fed. They're not out there in the field trying to find their own way. The farmer or the shepherd is bringing them food. He's changing their hay. He's making sure they got all the water they need. He's making sure they got the minerals. He's making sure the meat on them is going to be perfect. Controlling every aspect of their diet, of their drink, of everything. He says, in this day, those who trust the Lord, who fear the name of the Son of Righteousness, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and they shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. In other words, that's exactly what you're doing. Setting under the message of the hour, you are being hand-fed with the best grain, with the hidden manna. Your diet is being perfectly controlled to be sure that you grow into the right maturity to come into the stature of a perfect man so that the headstone could come down and cap off your life and you could walk from this mortal into immortality and you could literally put on, imperfe put on perfection because you've, everything has been just perfectly set up. Meanwhile, all around you, it's getting ready for an oven. They've turned up the dial a little bit. 425, 500. How high does this thing go? <laughs> we just got a new gas range, and let me tell you, turn that thing up, and it gets hot. That's a hot range. It says, you shall tread down the wicked. Now who's treading them down? The mighty angel came down, and he put his feet. But now it says, "In you, that fear the name of the, that fear my name, you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this," saith the Lord of hosts. So there's a part where they're under your feet; you shall tread down the wicked, and there's a part where there'll be ashes under your feet. When the righteous will walk out on the ash of the wicked, that's in the millennium. But now when it talks about this, it says, Remember ye the law of Moses, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, uh, for all Israel, which with the statutes and judgments, and that Mount Horeb is a whole subject in itself. But it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming. So now he backs up a little bit. Before all these things, before everything happens now, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible, dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And Brother Benham would take that and he would say, he was to turn, he was to take and turn our hearts back to the original faith. What was it about? Faith. 
You've got to see the Word. You've got to have something in you, the Holy Spirit, that will lead and guide you into all truth. It will bring you to the Word. Now, I think it's in the first year, Brother Branham goes into it. It says, notice, this last message of the last church age is not a reformer. He is a prophet. Not a reformer. Show me where one prophet ever started a church age. He says, he's not a reformer, he's a prophet. Now, I've been to look it up for you. A reformer is one who commences a reformation of religion from popish corruption. That's how the dictionary from 1983 would define it. But, or sorry, from 1883, apologies. But in Luther, we know that he received the revelation of the just shall live by faith. In other words, you're justified by faith. That was a reformation of the Pope's corruption, which was they would say, you're justified by your works. Or they would talk about purgatory, where you can pay your way into heaven. That was the Pope's corruption. They took the word of God out of the hands of the people and they corrupted it for their own good and began to say, this is what it says. And I don't say that at all. But they would even take it and then and say, well, it's the literal blood of Jesus. When you take communion and you got the wine and you got the wafer, this is the literal blood after the priest blesses it, and this is the literal body. Now you're literally covered by the blood and body of Jesus. I mean, there's a corruption. But Luther began to get your revelation. And they would even say that you're free by, the, by, by your sins, by conf- you're free from your sins by confessing them to a priest, and that priest then makes intercession for you. When the Bible says there's only one intercession between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But they would take it and corrupt it. And meanwhile, they'd say, You're free from your sin now. Well, you can go on living in sin any way you want and just come and confess it. Leading the people right to hell. Wesley would catch a hold of sanctification, living a clean and holy life. One intercessor between God and man, but the Pope's corruption was that you were sanctified by mass and confession. And they would even take sanctification, and according to the Roman Catholic Church, sanctification takes place in justification. I think that's a corruption of Romans chapter 8. I can follow that back because that's a pretty big stretch. In justification, they say your sins are forgiven and there is an infusion of sanctifying grace. Whereby one is made just and holy, that is what it is to be sanctified. In this state of grace, one merits heaven. That's incredible. I didn't know I could merit heaven. (laughs) But that's the corruption of it when Wesley began to pick it up and realize this is wrong. Just because I'm justified doesn't mean I'm sanctified. Just because I've been forgiven of all my past sins doesn't mean, although I've never done it in the first place, I can't carry on in sin and just live as though as some kind of grace is some Calvinistic doctrine. I've got to turn around and recognize there's something that cleans my life out, that I can walk holy, that I can actually live holy before God. It was a reformation from what they once had, and he began to realize, but it wasn't the Word of God coming to a prophet and tying up the loose ends and bringing everything together. It was just a reformation. And they could only unlock what their door unlocked because even in that, Wesley still baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Go read his writings. That's exactly how he baptized. He didn't know any different. That door wasn't unlocked yet. He didn't realize that the key that was given to Peter, Peter recognized the door was to be unlocked and it was to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins. The Catholic Church and Nicene Council had taken and shut that door again. The key was still in the hands of the church, but they couldn't find that door until the last stage when all the mysteries of God would be revealed. He goes on to say, others were reformers but not prophets. 
If they would have been, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. That's the reason they continued in baptism, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all these other things, because they were reformers and not prophets. But yet they were great men of God. They saw the need of the day that they lived in. And God anointed them, and they, they sent out there and tore those things to pieces. But, full, but the full word of God never came to them. Because they were not prophets, they were reformers. But in the last days, it'll have to be a prophet to take up the mysteries of God, to bring it back, because the mysteries was only known by the prophets. So, uh, so it has to be this fellow come. You see what I mean, Revelations 10, 7. It can't be a reformer. It's got to be a prophet, because it's got to be somebody that's gifted to sit there that catches the word. Now then reformers know that there was something wrong. Luther knew that that bread wasn't the body of Christ. So he preached the just shall live by faith. That was his message. John Wesley come along and he saw that there was sanctification. So he preached it. And that, that was his message. The Pentecostals brought the message of the Holy Ghost. And so forth. But in the last days, the last age, the messenger is not to start any reformation, but to take all the mysteries that those reformers left off and gather them together and solve them to the people. That was the whole purpose. They were good men. They were great men. Do you ever read the works of Luther and then read the writings and, uh, of Wesley and read his diaries and see what he did and how much he preached day in and day out and how he get kicked out of this place and that place and this place and that place. He got kicked off of street corners. He got kicked out of fields. But finally, in the end of it, it come down to it where he'd finally have someone receive his message and souls would get saved. And then he'd go off to a new place. He'd get kicked out of here, kicked out of here, kicked out of here, kicked out of here, kicked out of here. And finally he'd get accepted in a little old field somewhere and people would come that wanted to hear and souls would get saved. They were great men of God, but they were reformers. They were not a prophet. The full word of God couldn't come to them. It had to take a prophet. And God is so mindful in how he does it. To take someone of a seventh grade education. No education. By the time you're in seventh grade, I don't even remember what I learned this. Actually, scratch that. I knew what I learned in seventh grade. No, no, sixth grade. I learned about aviation and flight. The only test in all of my schooling that I can remember, I got 100% on. Should have been in aviation, Brother Jared. But here I am, plumber. But that was what I learned. And don't worry, back in grade six, you didn't learn how helicopters worked and how planes worked. You learned about this is where the flaps go up and down. And when they're this way, it does that. When they're that way, it does that. Oh, okay. Hot air rises and that sort of thing. But it's not that great. But I got 100% in it, so I thought it was awesome. But I remember that. That's what I remember about schooling back then. You learn how to do your alphabet. You learn how to read and write. That was really all God needed from a man. You know how to read my word? That's all I need. You don't even got to read it very good. Because when Brother Brown started his ministry, he used to get his wife, Sister Hope, to sit there and read the Bible for him. And then he would preach. Can you imagine? I just have Sister Melissa sit up here. You read the Bible for me. I can't. Some people would take offense to that. You got a sister saying something in church. That's the only way he could do it. God said, hey, listen, you can read. You can understand the word. That's all I'm looking for. I'll take it from there. He had a man back in the days of the pharaohs that had 40 years of schooling was one of the greatest generals that ever was, was a fantastic man, knew the ins and outs of, of the greatest society of the day, could have easily been the king of it. And God said, great, now go forget it for 40 years. Then I can use you. When you finally learn, all those things you learned, all I needed you to learn about was how to take care of sheep. Because you're going to be taking care of a lot of human sheep for 40 years in a desert. And no, you're not going to be fighting great battles and leading them and telling them where to go and how to go. The only battles you're going to, the only thing you're going to have to do to win a battle is raise your arms. It hasn't changed. How do I fight my battles? I throw up my hands and surrender. Anyways, I'm I'm off topic, and here I am trying to stay on topic. Now, brother Ethan, you can put the slideshow up there. I think it starts on the. Hold on a sec. I think it starts on the first page. We'll go through one or two things. Actually, no, we won't. You can take that slideshow back down. We'll save that for next time. I said I'd stay an hour, and I got six minutes left.
And I'm trying to keep my word. Are you with me? All right. We want a young people's where you just come and preach for an hour and a half and everything would just be great. And usually you preach two hours and we just receive and it's a wonderful atmosphere. But you forgot everything I said. No, just me. I forgot. Okay. Y'all are perfect. This is amazing. It says this in the message. This is in the church age book, in the Sardisian church age. Let me just hammer this down with a couple quotes and then we'll, we'll close. It says, if there was ever a time of denominational zeal, it was at this tragic time in the Sardisian church age. It says, the words of Cornelius describe much of this era. Cornelius wrote the one thing needful. He said he compares the world to a labyrinth and shows that the way out is by leaving what is needless and choosing the one thing needful, which is Christ. He says, the great number of teachers, he says, is the reason of the multitudes of sects. Sects. S-E-C-T-S. For which he shall soon have no names left. That's amazing to me. Because back then, there was just a few compared to the thousands there is today. And they're still making up names to figure out exactly what they're going to call themselves. And that's all right. But he says, you'll soon have no names left. Each church reckons itself the true one. Ain't that right? You talk to anyone today, they're sold out to a church. They go to the true church. I go to this church because I like the pastor. I like this. I like that. I think they speak the truth. It's great. Hey, nothing wrong with thinking that. But is it the truth? Like Pilate said, what is truth? Now it says, each church reckons itself the true one, or at least as the purest, truest part of it. While among, among themselves, they persecute each other with the bitterest of hatred. No reconciliation is to be hoped for between them. They meet enmity and irreconcilable enmity. They, they meet enmity with ir- irreconcilable enmity. And they still do that today. They can have a whole world council of churches. They can get themselves all under one name. But it'll all come to naught. It's prophesied in the Bible too. It's in Isaiah where it says if you, you get yourself a big gathering together basically and you leave me out, it'll all come to naught. It's just going to be confusion. Even in the big world council of churches and they get everyone together, guess what? This one still calls themselves Baptist. That one still calls themselves Methodist. And this one still says I'm Church of Christ. And this one still says I'm apostolic and this one still says I'm evangelical and this one still says I'm reformer and this one says he's Dutch reformer and that one says he's the Roman Catholic Church and that one says he's the Russian Orthodox Church and that one over there says he's the Greek Orthodox Church and this one you see it just goes on and on and on and on but they all can join themselves under one name and still they don't agree together and they still are just oh my and out of the Bible they forge their different creeds then they, and these are their fortresses and bulwarks behind which they entrench themselves and resist all attacks. Behind what? Their creeds. That they took one little thing out of the Bible and they said, this is it. This is all I got. No, no, no. And they resist all attacks. And I will not say that these, that these confessions of faith, or we can admit in most cases that they are so, are bad in themselves. And it's true. You, you, you talk about how one would, would go, and Brother Brown would use the example, how one would baptize forwards, the other would baptize backwards, and they'd split. Because one said when Jesus died, he pitched forward. The other one says, who buries a man on his forward? He buries him on the back. So we're going to split the church up, and we're going to do all of these things. And I, I wish it didn't happen the message, but It does. And he says, only by putting them away and altogether would it be possible, only by putting them away, away altogether would it be possible to set to work on healing the wounds of the church. He says, to this labyrinth of sects and various confessions, um, a, 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 another, belongs, another belongs the love of disputation. <laughs> Let's never get that. When someone says something and we just got this spirit that we love to play the devil's advocate. Well, you think that? Well, I'm just going to take the other side because I love to dispute. 
Well, you're going to start to agree with me. Well, then I'll take the other side. Now we're coming to, well, I'll take the other side. It's a love of disputation. And they love to have constant and never-ending debate. He says, what, what, is this, what is attained by, has a single learned strife ever been settled? Never. Their number has only been increased. Satan is a great sophist. I'm going to have to look up what that means because I actually don't know. But he has never been overcome in a strife of words. I think it means he's a great debater. But in divine service, the, in divine service, the words of men are usually heard more than the word of God. Each one chatters as he pleases or kills time by learned disputations and dis- disapproving the, the voice of others of a new birth, of the new birth, and how man must be changed into the likeness of Christ to become a partaker of the divine nature. According to 2 Peter 1 and 4, scarcely nothing is said. Of the power of the keys, the church has almost lost the power of binding. Only the power of loosing remains. They just want to loose everything. Everything's okay. We're going to have a wonderful time. We'll just loose it all, not bind any sin. He says, the sacraments giving of, 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 given as symbols of unity and love and, and of, our, of our life in Christ have been made the occasion of bitterness, bitterest conflicts and a cause of mutual hatred and center of sectarianism. That's exactly right. The sacraments, the things that we, should be so sacred to us, haven't made the center of all this in this age. He says, in short, Christendom has become a labyrinth. My, it took a prophet to come and before ever preaching the seals, come and preach a message and say, God is revealing himself in simplicity. When man has made it a labyrinth where it's so convoluted and so mixed up that you can't understand it. And let me tell you this way. If that's your understanding of the message, you've gone off somewhere. If you're looking at the message as a labyrinth, Something has been mixed up. And that's what we're trying to do. That's my burden right now, tonight, and in some of the services in the future coming up, to bring out these mysteries as simple as I can. To keep it just absolutely clear so we wouldn't find ourselves in a labyrinth. It says the faith has been split into a thousand little pieces and you're made a heretic if you don't accept one of the, whatever they're preaching. It says... What, what could help? The only one thing needful, return to Christ. Looking to Christ as the only leader and walking in his footsteps, setting aside all other ways until we will reach the goal and come into the unity of the faith as the heavenly master built everything on the ground of the scriptures, so should we leave all particularities of our special confessions and be satisfied with the revealed Word of God which belongs to us all. With the Bible in our hands, we should cry, I believe that God has revealed in this book and I will obediently keep His commands and I hope that which, and I hope for that which He has promised, Christians give ear, there is only one life. But death comes in a thousand forms. There is only one Christ, but a thousand antichrists. So thou knowest, O Christendom, that, we, that which is what, what is the one thing needful, either thou turnest back to Christ or goest to destruction like the antichrist, if thou art wise and wilt live, follow the leader of life. Amen. And that's what the prophet of this stage came to do. And I'm going to have to close it there. We can stand on our feet because I'm trying as hard as I can to keep my promise. But that's exactly what it talks about in Malachi chapter 4. Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as a heat of an oven. And it says, And the, the wicked that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the proud, yea, and they that do wickedly shall be a stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord. And it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But you that fear my name... The son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow as calves in the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be as ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day for the purpose of what? To reveal all the mysteries. To finish all the mysteries so that you can take the book. 
so that you can eat the book, so that you can prophesy again. Without the prophet messenger, it doesn't work. It has to be revealed. The faith has to be unlocked so that you can clearly see and speak and believe and have faith. Amen. Amen. I wonder if we could sing that song. It's maybe, forgive me, I didn't feel like I didn't really get anywhere. Was it okay tonight? Just trying to bring it in real simple, and I trust it just be an encouragement to you. And We need it. I need to study it again and again and again and again. You know, I'm finite. I forget things. You ever forget things? Yeah, all the time. You feel like, man, I just studied this, and I don't remember this. I don't remember that. I don't remember this. We get that way. We need to remind ourselves. The Bible says, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. What if we could sing this song? You know, as this goes, all my life, I think you know this. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, and all my life you have been faithful. Oh, and all my life you have been so, so, so good. With every been so good to us, Lord. All my life you've been faithful. Lord, maybe for some, Lord, the service tonight is just stirring up our minds by way of remembrance. Maybe for others, Lord, it'd be something that would just exactly what we have need of. But Lord, I pray that you'd give us grace to receive what you're speaking. Lord, I know this isn't just something we can condense into one service, but Lord, it's I know there's many more services coming out of it. and It's just a burden on my heart that we just make it so real. And Lord, may you just come for one can plant and another water, but you're the one that gives the increase, Lord. So I pray you take the words that are spoken as simple as they are, Lord, and just as uh, uh, teaching, Lord, maybe not great inspiration or great atmosphere or great 
something. But Lord Jesus, we're looking at the word. And we want it to be revealed to our hearts. We want it to be clear. We want, Lord God, that we be walking in the truth every step of the way. That we know you. And the only way to know you is in your word, Lord. That you reveal yourself to us in the word of God. So I pray that as we go through these things, Lord, may it be so real. And we love you. In Jesus' name, we commit each one to you. Lord, as we just hand it over to Brother Tony to lead us in worship a little bit. Lord, I pray you'd be glorified. Feel welcome in our midst, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 I say God bless you. I'm, I sure love each one of you. You're wonderful young people. I know I'll get a chance to say it again, but Merry Christmas. It's December, you know, it's amazing how it's kind of COVID and different things has made it where it's, we don't really know how we'll see each other again and how everything is, but take our greetings back with you, brother, down back to Saskatchewan and the saints there, say hi to your dad, and, and we sure love them there. But I uh, trust you all have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you again on Sunday. And spend some time. Let's just worship the Lord, shall we? Hey, my brother Tony. Your love is running, it's running after me. With every breath